Hello, and welcome to Sharing the Manual podcast, brought to you by UInsure, where we journey with you to finish well financially. This journey takes you to an intersection of life and money coaching. As we all know, how you live out your life in all areas has lasting effects on your money. Now, it has been said that emotionally connected men and women have better finances. My name is Amy Yu, and if you've seen my last name, you know why I've shortened it. And I will be your host. I am so glad that you've joined us on what is sure to be a memorable adventure. One where no topic is off limits. We understand that all areas of our lives are intertwined. We will talk money, emotions, even emotions around your money. Raising kids, which is sure to be a hoot, as they say the darndest things. Dating, relationships, marriage, grief in so many forms. Whether it's a death, a divorce, an illness, or just your life not turning out how you thought it would. Cause that, my friends, is very real, and I know that firsthand. We will tackle life's epic fails, celebrate the wins, overcome the obstacles, address the mountains and valleys in each other's lives. No rock will go unturned. This podcast is one of real, honest, genuine, humorous conversations where we share stories that are sure to inspire you, encourage, equip, and empower you to live out your best life. Our goal is to build connections, community of belonging, as you, my dear, are not the only one. We are journeying and navigating this life together, and I hope that you're ready to dive right in. I am so excited, everyone, that our get, our special guest today is Michelle Arpin Fagina on the podcast today. The way she views money as more than just number, it warms my heart. She marries the science of wealth management with the art of financial therapy. You have heard me say that in order to reach financial freedom, you do need to become financially whole from within. And I refer to this as a financial healing journey. Michelle has a long list of amazing accomplishments, New Jersey's five-star wealth manager, twice named one of Worth Magazine's best 250 financial advisors. In 2020, Michelle launched a lifestyle platform that provides women with financial education, tools, events, and emotional intelligence on money. Not to mention her most recent TEDx. Talking about money is easy when you know how. I absolutely love the title. This, my friend, is why she's with us today. Her heart for what she does runs deep. She shared with me a couple of months back her why, and right off the bat, I knew she was right for the show. She has a money story and she speaks to the behavior bias having an impact on our financial decisions. Michelle, I would love for you to share with us your story, your why, followed with your nuggets of wisdom that you have for us today. Well, thank you for having me on, Amy. And you're right. When we talked a couple of months ago, I felt like I met a sister. And um, I love that you talk about money in the way that you do. And you talk about it in a way of how it touches every area of our life, because it absolutely does. So thank you for having yes. me on today. Yes. So my story, boy, we're going to go right out of the gate with the story. Okay. Right? So Why my, not? Let's hit them with it. Right <laughs> not. Let's horrify your audience right from the start. I grew up watching two very hardworking, high earning, wonderful people, my parents, uh, start a business and become successful. And the more money that they started making, the more problems that there were in our house. When money was tight, there really was nothing to argue about. It was a matter of stuffing the cash in the respective envelopes to pay for the things that we needed. And that was that we had what we had and we didn't have any more. But as uh, my parents' business got more successful, like I said, the, the trouble really started and their differences around money really started showing up. And I was noticing this as a kid because money was uh, very openly and inappropriately talked about <laughs> with me. Uh -huh. 
uh, from really early on. What it taught me watching them first was that we have a lot of emotional connections when it comes to money. I didn't really learn the technical competence around money until much, much later, more in my teenage years and adulthood. But I first learned that lesson in those connections. And what I grew up witnessing were things like my mom being away and my father wanting to buy a car and his calling and asking for permission and her saying no and his buying it anyway and keeping it in our garage and swearing us kids to secrecy, which felt awful to asking me for money out of my piggy bank for cigarettes. And I said, no, and his taking the money anyway and doing what he wanted, which also felt awful. Um, in fact, that happened when I was five. And the reason I said no was because I didn't want to give him any money that could potentially harm him, right? I loved him. Yeah. And he was pretty angry about that and took the money anyway. And it, I was really frustrated. Of course, at five, I couldn't name all the feelings, except that I just, I cried out of this frustration. And I was worried actually that he would think I was stingy and he kind of missed the point that I was standing on my values, even when I was five years old. Fast forward to when I was 17, um, I had been led to believe that my parents would pay for college. In fact, my mom was tickled pink. I'd be the first to get the family to go. My father took me on college campus tours. All indications were that this was gonna happen. And my parents decided to buy a yacht with my college fund instead. So that was an identity crisis, really. Um, so here I was ready to go off to this big adventure called college and you know, here on this hero's journey. And, and here was this inciting incident that could have stopped me in my tracks, but it didn't. And I think the reason that it didn't was at that point, part of my identity was I was a student. I loved to learn. I figured college was at least financially in the bag that I was going to have the opportunity to go. But the fact that I loved to learn and that I was a student, that wasn't leaving because that's who I was and it's still who I am and I remember standing on the dock of that marina when I learned and my the wheels just started turning in my brain and it went something like this college costs a lot of money I don't have any money how am I going to get money get a job okay get in motion and I did get in motion that summer I got a job by fall of that year just as the local schools were starting, the bank actually asked me, would you like to take a college course and we'll reimburse you a few paths? And I asked them about that benefit and they explained what college tuition reimbursement was. That's how I paid for my college education. I worked full-time using tuition reimbursement benefits at different employers over eight years. So right. corporate America paid for my degree largely. When I look back on that now, and I probably even realized it at that moment, is what I was living in was that gap of where I was and seeing what was possible and not really knowing how I was going to make it happen, right? right? Other than the thought of, okay, the only way I knew to get money was to work. And that's what I got into action about. But I feel like the, you know, that saying, when you know what you want, the how is going to show up. You don't necessarily need to concern yourself with so much about the how, which yeah. sounds very metaphysical, but I also believe in metaphysics. And yeah. that was serendipity and coincidence that showed up. And I think a lot of what we want in life, if we are 
being true to ourselves on the paths that we are meant to be on, mm -hmm. I think serendipity and coincidence inevitably does show up as yeah. a little uh, signal that you are in the right flow and you're on the right path and you're in alignment with your purpose when those types of things happen. Yes, and I think that alignment is key and I 100% agree with that, alignment to your truest self. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my why in life you know, as I made my way through college working, I had the advantage, actually. I mean, if you looked at my resume in my 20s, it looked like a hot mess because, <laughs> well, I would change jobs so that I would have the flexibility to be able to attend school and still work. So uh, what I figured out, I, I initially thought I was wanted to be a CPA. And once I learned what a CFP did, a certified financial planner, I realized, oh, wait a minute, I've been going after the, the wrong letters because a CFP marries to me love of numbers and love of people. And that yeah. really, that intersection really interested me because it went yeah. way back to observing my parents because my parents had all the ingredients to have a fabulously free financial life, free of worry yeah. and, and all the stability in the world that they could have wanted, but they didn't create that for themselves. So it wasn't really till many years later that I really dug into what my why is and discovered it. And, and there's like two components to it. One, I realized that I became an advisor because there were parts of me that would have loved to have counseled and coached my parents to do better. And I didn't have the skills. I was a kid. It wasn't my responsibility. All of that, right? I just didn't have that opportunity to do that. And there's a little part of me, there's a younger part of me that I put that into everything that I do, that I'm just satisfying what I would have loved to have given my parents if I could have. And my proxy for that is I give it to other people who need it now and who yeah. are open to accepting it. Yeah. The other part of my big why, that's more my motivation. My, my true why is that while I did grow up with a yacht and you name the sports car and we had private airplanes, you know, lots and lots of big ticket items. We really were poor because my parents literally would be down to their last $5 every time they made a big purchase like that. So we didn't progress very far from when they didn't have any money and my mom literally was doling out cash into the envelopes in the shoebox to make ends meet and there were times that we didn't have money for things like groceries or healthcare, but we had an airplane garaged in a hangar <laughs> right so a lot of people have a fear of running out of money or, ne or never getting to a place where they have enough money to even run out of it and i know what that fear is I have lived that fear. So my true why is helping other people to get set for life, however they define that. So they never, ever have to experience those feelings because not again, not to horrify your audience, but as bad, <laughs> as bad as we think that could be, it's worse than we imagine. And I know, you know, a lot about that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love so much is because we're really sharing our own journeys with other people because we take our mess and it becomes our message. Exactly. Right. But now because of that, you have these three tips that, or three things that you're going to really dive into with us today, because 
they apply in all areas of life. And not to mention, you guys, my listeners, Michelle is also a certified life coach. So she has so many aspects to her that really comes alongside you. And so talk to us a little bit about those three nuggets. Yeah. Well, before we do, I want to just say that I think in financial services, the advisors of today and of the future really have three things. I think they are therapeutic. I think they are coaches. And I think they have financial technical competence. I really think that those are the three ingredients, right? And And that's a game changer, right? That's a game changer that's going forward. But when you Mm -hmm. can't find it, you create it. And that's what you did too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a little pet peeve in life with the following statement. The way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And the reason I have this pet peeve is because I observed my parents and the way they were in the office was with their money was not the way they were in the house. So I think it's a myth. And part of why I think we are um, inconsistent with our financial behavior is because we play different roles depending on the domain that we're playing in, right? Whether it's our relationship with somebody in the office versus the relationships we want to have with our spouse or our children and other examples, right? So any pick any area of your life and you may not act like the same person entirely, right? Some of it has to do with the role and the expectation you've set for yourself. A lot of it has also to do with what you want out of the engagement that you're having with that other person. Like what peace and harmony are you after that you're willing to compromise something about you for the sake of it, I think is what happens. So it ultimately, when it comes to finance, it really can lead to financial self-sabotage, which sabotage is this dance of wanting to belong on the one hand and wanting to feel free and autonomous on the other. And when that is out of balance, we will rebel in one direction or another, right? So it's really the lack of that balance that can kind of mess us up with our money. So- What I am a big proponent of is that our prior successes in any area of our life can teach us a lot about how to act good, quote unquote, with money. And what I mean by that is if anyone has ever aspired, right, to to do be or have something and they've gone through the gauntlet of that grit and resilience, right? So really looking at things in their life that were not overnight successes or were just luck, but the stuff that was intentional of here's where I am now, here's where I want to be. And you face resistance from others. You face resistance from yourself. You questioned yourself. There were roadblocks put in your way. There were opportunities that you took advantage of. There were surprises, pleasant surprises that happened, right? All of the stuff that really took that deep down double-fisted grit to get to. Like that's the stuff to look at. And what I'm really framing here is looking at your money through the lens of positive psychology is really the framework for it. And if we look at positive psychology, which is really this, you know, I say people have master's degree in positive psychology, have like master's degree in happiness, really, is what it boils down to. What they, what, they, what they tell us about positive psychology is it boils down to a couple of main themes, more than a few main themes, but I'll boil it down to a few main themes today. One is the acronym PERMA, right? Which stands for 
purpose, engagement, or flow, relationships, meaning, and accomplishment. So it's easy when it comes to money to focus on the accomplishment part, which could be, I want to buy a car, I want to buy a house, I want to have you know a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow so I can retire, right? The actual things, right? Whether it's a pool of money or an investment or an actual tangible thing. But the other elements are actually what give us in combination actually give us satisfaction. So I think when we look at our money or look at any part of our lives that we've had success, it's really instructive to look at it through, well, was I in flow while I was achieving this? Or were there, you know, master moments of flow? Where were the relationships involved? Relationships could be whether they were people who supported you or whether it was a network that you leaned on that gave you access to other people or to other information on and on. Yeah. And then the other core elements are looking at hero, which is short for hope, efficacy, or self-confidence, resilience, and optimism. And those four elements are always in play of any success that we've gone, you know, that we've created ourselves always, always in play not consistently even keeled, but it, that is always woven in and ebbs and flows as we succeed in life. So, so really what you're saying is kind of like we have these formulas on how to succeed in life based off of our previous goals that we've had that we've actually accomplished and achieved. And so mm-hmm. if we were to break that down, how we achieve that, you know, those goals and apply it into our money or other areas, we're going to mm-hmm. have success. It's, it's at least, it, it, you know, you call it the manual, right? I this do. Yeah. Sharing the manual. Yeah. Well, this is your owner's manual. This is your success formula, right? Yeah. Because uh, for example, you know, we've probably all had mentors or other, you know, guides in our life. Key, very much a key in to do life and community. 100% hands down. We all need mentors and we need to do that and pay that forward. Yes. We will say that. Yes. Agreed. I'm personally more of a believer in community than mentors necessarily when it comes to money. And I'll tell you why. So for example, Warren Buffett, one of his keys to success, and he's talked about this extensively, is he reads five, six, seven hours a day. And what I love about what he says is the information is the same information is available to everyone. The difference is that I read it and access it. And then, you know, it's a, it's an accumulation of all of his knowledge, right? Because he's done this for decades after decades. But how many of us could actually read for six, seven, eight hours a day? Very few, right? So some of the advice we get from mentors is not actionable or like, this was one of my favorite discoveries about Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx. So Sarah talks about, she lives close, fairly close to her office. But she takes a fake commute to the office every day because what she discovered is that she does her best thinking and comes up with her big ideas on that fake commute. Oh, cool. Right. But if you were meeting with her and she said, listen, the key to success is just drive yourself around in a car and come up with great (laughs) ideas. We might not take that in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We might not take that in. So yes, we have to listen and, and, you know, take the best and leave the rest, I think with, with mentors, because at the end of the day, we can receive all kinds of awesome ideas, but we have to decide what actually fits. And I think all it takes 
is to look at three successes, maybe five, but look at three successes from any part of your life. It doesn't necessarily have to be financial. Any three areas and break it down like we're talking about, including yeah, you your values. Yeah. How did you do it, right? And it's, and we'll go into human capital in a second, but how did you do it? And then when you're done, you wanna do that 30,000 foot view where you're looking for what are the common elements here to all of these successes that I've had? Right. Okay. That's where your formula lives, right? For your money. And, yep. And I do want to warn that I don't think there's a person that I've taught or talked with about this that doesn't first say success. What's success? I haven't had any success in life. They'll be 40, 50, 60 years old and go, oh, I really haven't. We all do that. So just know if when you start thinking about your successes, you're probably going to put yourself down to minimize, to minimize, you're going to minimize your own successes before you even get started. So don't be surprised if that happens. Right. Okay. So That's push through that because if you've lived some life, you've been successful. If you're here breathing and listening to this, you've been successful. So yes. look the, the good stuff. You win. The wins that are happened in your life, whether they're big or small, they're wins. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And they don't have to be gigantic wins. You know, these aren't the wins that necessarily change the world. These are your, these are the wins that are meaningful to you. Like my, one of my wins is that I graduated from college. Okay. Well, someone else who like had an easier trip getting to that degree may not look at my college graduation and say, oh, that's, that's really not that big of a deal. Well, until you know what I was up against to actually make that happen. So it's really looking at, look at the stuff that you were up against, something that really challenged you that you still made happen. Yeah. And then I think we can't shortchange human capital. And I think this is where you and I really have so much in common, right? So human capital is not just the financial capital of what you have, because at some point you might use and devote your own resources to help you become more financially successful because you have the ability to invest in yourself and others, the markets, what have you. But we also have three other elements. It's who you're being, it's who you know, and it's what you know. So how did those four things, what you have, who you know, who you're being, and what you know, your knowledge, how did those things come into play? Because especially when we first start out, and most of us have started from scratch, right, ground zero, and we build our wealth. Well, we have more human capital, which is a little less on the financial resources, so we rely on these other resources. And I think it's really cool and important to look at how was I using those things? Like we, I mentioned a little bit earlier, like you're, you know, who you know could be you notice someone who's got a connection with someone that you really would like to know. So you let that's that's who you know, right? You're leveraging yeah. it that way. Or or you know your friend is an expert in X and can I pick your brain? Yes. Et cetera, right. Just the ways that you worked with other people in the way that you worked with them or who you were being, right? Like I was a five-year-old who was standing on her value of family and health, right? That's who I was, right? I'm still doing that. It was part of my character. So it's really looking at, well, what is my character? Like when I boil it all down, 
what is the core essence of me? Who am I being, right? And yeah. then there might be some fake it till you make it in there, which is great. Um, be it till you become it. I like that better. Be it till you I like it. that better too. Amy Cuddy, <laughs> I definitely like her version better. But I, I have done the fake it till you make it. I won't lie. I've done that lot. And yep. now it's shifting I, and it's time to not do that. Absolutely. There's something that came up for me in the last couple of years, which kind of took me by surprise in that, you know, you mentioned that I, I just did a TEDx and I started working on wanting to take a TEDx stage a little over two years ago. And I had a coach who was working with me who started referring to me as a speaker, as in like a speaker, a paid speaker, taking stages yeah. kind of speaker. Yeah. And I started referring to myself as a speaker, which I wasn't on any stages. I wasn't on podcasts and it felt really disingenuous because the fake it till you make it or, or fake it until you become it is usually a little bit more of an internal game of I've decided that I'm going to be this, or I'm going to have this, and I'm going to look the part and I'm going to act the part but you might not come right out and say, I am such and such, or I am a such and such. And when I first started calling myself a speaker, like I said, it just felt disingenuous. And she said something so powerful to me. She said, it is okay that you feel that way. Your integrity is so high that you are becoming it. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. And it, yeah. it, kind of calmed a little bit of that imposter that I was feeling. And listen, truth be told, I was an imposter at that moment, yeah. but she gave me this gift of, but you are working toward it. And it was basically saying that she had such faith in my conscientiousness and my commitment around it, that it was inevitable that it was going to happen so long as I kept at it and kept working at it. So just wanted to share that there's a, there's another element to it where sometimes it's helpful to declare it out loud. Yeah. I'm a huge believer of you need to declare it and speak it to life and really walk into it. And some of that is we're, we're retraining our neurological pathways. We really are mm -hmm. right. And yeah. I'm a farm girl. So, you know, when you drive down a gravel road and you're caught in those ruts and you try to forge your new way, it can be hard and you get sucked mm -hmm. back in. It takes great intention mm -hmm. to like forge this new path for yourself, whether it's in relationships, your career, parenting, or your money, yeah. but it does take intention. And, you know, and how long did it take you though? Remember you said this whole TEDx thing was a two-year process. So, or process, you might, we all say it different, whether you're in the States <laughs> or in Canada here, <laughs> but it's true. If we think about, I'm a runner. Well, what do I need to go run a 10, 10K race or, you know, a 6.2 mile run? I need to train. I need to put in the mm -hmm. effort. I need to put in the work. You That's had right. to constantly, you know, your, your family probably got tired of you saying your, your talk out loud in the mirror, you know, re rehearsing it, working on, you know, the way you would say things and tweaking it and fine tuning it and your tone and how you present it. And that doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. No, you have no, to set your uh, intention. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it evolved from honestly, who am I to even think that I have the right to do this to do I even have anything important to say? What is my big idea? Landing on the big idea becoming a script writer, then having to learn the craft of speaking and just, yeah, just, you know what, sometimes you just have to throw yourself in and, you know, swim your way out of the dark waters. 
So now I've got to, I've got to ask you, and I know we're going to go kind of away from the three points that we talked about, but there's so much truth to money avoidance or having that resistance. And the minute we get uncomfortable is mm -hmm. so many people all of a sudden are like, oh yeah, nope, and then back away from it. When really mm -hmm. we have to push through that. What would you? What would be your best advice? for people to push through some of that resistance that they have about talking about money. Yeah. Well, number one is talk about it, right? That's, that's really, <laughs> that's really it. Uh, okay. So I think that, you know, resistance can come in a lot of different forms, but I think what we're mainly afraid and are resisting is what does money in my life mean about me? I think that's a lot of what we're resisting. Does it make me bad? Does it make me good? Does it make me fill in the blank? And we can, I, I think there's some techniques that you can use. If, if you are resistant and you even realize that you're being resistant, which is half the battle right there, right? Because we can just stay in denial about it. But if we are realizing oh, yeah. that we're resistant, then journaling can help a lot where it's just you and, you know, your, you know, your tablet, your piece of paper, however you do you, where you're actually really asking yourself, you know, what am I resisting? What am I actually resisting? Why is this such a scary topic? Where do I think What's this under comes it? from? Yeah. Yeah. And you can do that. Uh, I feel myself of things by doing that, by literally sitting at a coffee shop for almost a day on an issue I was working on and making myself relive moments and really digging in and, and kind of you know, being that inquisitive little kid, why, why do I feel yeah. this way? And just see where it led me, what parts of my life it made me re-explore. I relived emotions that I didn't want to relive. And yeah. for me, the next step was actually to talk about it. And but that's the healing in it, right? That's the inner healing that I say, when, when I say financial healing, this is, there's stories that are underneath all of this. Mm -hmm. and they need yeah. to come to the surface and we need to yeah. work through them. Yes. I'm a big believer because I've lived this, that we need to be healed enough to tell our stories, but we also yeah. need to tell our stories and be heard to be healed. Yes. It's a partnership. I think 100%. So some of the work that you can do on your own, like with journaling or however, you know, what, whatever allows you and helps you to tap into what's really going on for yourself. It's like self-serve therapy is what you're doing, right? Yeah. And we're talking about the topic of money, which listen, I'm a big believer in, in therapy, right? Financial therapy, traditional psych psychological therapy, coaching. Yeah. Get the help you need. Um, I want to get better, right? I'm just on a mission to, to, to become the best version of me, right? That's yeah. what I feel. It's part of my call, right? not calling, but that's part of what I've always felt called to pursue. Yeah. And, but you're leading from there, right? And so much of it is modeling. When we're able to do it ourselves, it's easier for us to walk others through it because we yeah. live from experience. We live from the healing from it. We live from, you know, unpacking our money story, unpacking the shame and the guilt, the money infidelity, the money trauma. We, when we have the courage to have that curiosity, you said it a second ago, be like a little intuitive quit of kid wanting to know what's underneath it. What could that mean? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Not to necessarily relive all of the trauma, but to hold it in two hands and be like, okay, you know what? This is what I want for life. And this is what I'm holding. And you, it's a paradox because you can have 
good things happening in your life, but yet you can also have, you know, you can be in breakdown and you can be in the mess and you can have things going right. on and feelings coming up, mm-hmm. but we're holding space for both of them. Absolutely. I love how you just said that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a journey and we do have to lead the way. And that yeah. brings healing to us as we do it. Yeah. And I think one of the gifts that it does give us when we're willing to play ball with this stuff is that we're now adults and we get to look at some of these things through the through a fresh set of eyes. And when we're doing that, we're actually seeing the different parts that we took on subconsciously right? We just took them in for what they were. We accepted them without questioning, right? And, and that leads into your next point. Of, yeah. And they have just become part of, you know, who we are. So this gives us a chance to rehear the voices that we probably heard ad nauseum growing up about money and yeah. to question and go, like, for example, there was someone that I worked with who he was an investment banker and five years out of, it was his first job out of college, five years out, he had made a ton of money and he had a thousand dollars to his name. And he was miserable about that. And he got some help for it and reheard his father's voice as an adult saying money isn't important. That's what he grew up hearing. And when he yeah. heard it, it was like a seatbelt clicking in a place. And he said, no wonder. No wonder I only have a thousand dollars to show for all this hard work, because yeah. if money is important, why would I treat it with respect and importance? Isn't money, it amazing? That's my story. Well, and it's true. We, we really do have these filters, how we do life, right? And the four filters are what we were told, what we learn, mm-hmm. what we experience, and then what we believe to be true from all of that. We have yeah. these filters on how we do life, but also our money. And we have yeah. to dismantle. We have to dismantle them because Absolutely. just because it doesn't mean they're true. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, there right. was one guy that that he overheard his parents saying rich bastards, RB, rich bastards. So he thought mo- people that with money were bad. They were bastards. Right. Yeah. You know, and and all of a sudden when he realized that, he was like, Oh my word, Amy, like I cannot believe that's just coming up now. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if people with money are RBs, then you're not gonna hang on to your money. Because that makes you one then, doesn't it? Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Based off of what you I, were told, what you learned, right? What you heard growing up. Absolutely. I had a, um, a call recently. This fascinated me. So this woman was talking about how she's, she's at a company and she is having a really hard time asking for more money, negotiating for more. And she's taken on a lot more work. Of course, you know, great quality work. Yeah. Definitely did it you know, delivering value. And, you know, we always talk about this worthiness kind of concept. What it's she big. shared with me, yeah, I mean, it's big, but what, where the direction, it didn't take necessarily a worthiness tact where this went was really interesting to me. And it was a breakthrough for her is that she grew up being raised by a single mom who was able to make ends meet, but it was really, really tight. And as she was describing her background, she was talking about how hard her mom worked, how independent her mom was to make it happen. She alluded to there being, whether it was church or community involvement, where there were resources available for for families should they need it. And her mother never would take it, intentionally would never take it, would never take a handout. 
And when she started describing how she was feeling for the thought of going and talking to her boss about a raise, I stopped and asked her, does the thought of going to your boss feel as if you are asking for a handout? Oh, wow. Yeah. That's what it was. It wasn't a belief about her self-worth, her worthiness had nothing to do with that. She had just conflated asking for money for work well done as a handout. And she was taught not to take handouts. Oh, and it's so crazy. I, you know, even after my husband had passed and we were struggling financially and I had to use Jumpstart to help pay for my kids hockey and ringette, I'm telling you that was the hardest thing that I had had to do was to say, hey, yeah, I need financial help. Yeah, it was. And, you know, it shouldn't be that. Why is it that hard for us to say, yeah, I need a handout. Yes, I need help. But it was. I'm like, I'm writing about it now and I'm unpacking some of that now. I'm like, oh, my word. It's crazy. Well, there's actually biology around asking for help and, and why it's so difficult as humans to ask for help. I believe that. <laughs> Part of it is a reciprocity, right? So if we, um, if someone gives us something, we feel like we have to give something in return. Yeah, or we're indebted we to them. them. Yeah, like money superiority yeah. is a really big thing for sure. Yep. yep, the fear of being judged, the fear of being seen. There's a lot of biology that goes into asking for help, which it's such a, you know, I mean, the, the deeper you dig into all of this, you see all of the oxymorons and all the paradoxes around money, because, <laughs> you know, on the one hand, um, we require, right, we need the sense of belonging, which when you ask for help, it actually partly provides that for us or when we give, right, it, it yeah. keeps us connected, right, which is something that we need. But yet, you know, we really put up a resistance to this when it's the very thing that will just be a tipping point for us to get to the next level. And I know for myself, when I would think about if I asked, because I I really resisted asking for any help. I mean, I was like ruggedly independent, getting myself through school and paying my own way and, and actually keeping the secret. I mean, there are people now that are learning that this happened that have known me for years and never knew because my lips were sealed. Well, because we were also taught that we didn't, we didn't talk about that kind of stuff. Right. Like right. I, I grew up in a family, love my family, but definitely rug sweepers, you know, sweep it under the rug and that's where it stays forever. <laughs> yeah. 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 Me too. And I think for me, you know, why uh, it, it definitely is the last couple of years, like the breakthroughs of starting to tell the story is it is a return to self, right? It has given me this inner peace. It has, yeah. You know, I wrestled with the demon of whose story is this to tell? Is it my story? Is it my family's story to be kept secret? And where I ultimately landed was this happened to me. This is part of my experience. It is my story, right? It is my story to tell. And I'm a big fan of Anne Lamott, the writer, who says it best. If you wanted me to be nicer to you now, you should have been nicer to me then, which just helped (laughs) Helped get me there. Because <laughs> to be frank, it was not a very nice thing that happened at all. So how do we now, we're going to wrap this up a little bit. How do we change the narrative though, Michelle? Like you and I are both on the same page in how we deal with money and talk about money and unpack and have healing. How do we change the narrative though in you know mm-hmm. the world? Because really that's what needs to happen. We need to see this shift. 
you know, you're in the States, I'm in Canada, but this needs, this shift needs to happen everywhere. Yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it right now. I think opening up the conversation. And then I think from anybody listening, you know, how do you change? I, the first step is, is declaring it, but not in the way that necessarily that you have to shout from some rooftop that this is how it's going to be, but you actually have to get to that place where here's where I am now. Right. So what we, uh, I love the tension of, I love the challenge. I don't know that I love the tension or the feeling of the tension of between here's where I am and here's this big what if type future of anything I'm trying to achieve, right? There's that tension in there of like, it, it, it attracts us and repels us at the same time because I want status quo because that feels really great. But yeah, like, oh, it's FOMO. Like, yeah, but I think I could go after this really big thing and that's really, really exciting, right? And if I don't do it, I'm going to look back and regret that, right? And I'm trying to live my life with as few regrets as, as possible. The declaring, right, is deciding for yourself, this is how it's been. This is how it's going to be going forward. Yeah. That's just sitting down with a piece of paper and saying, okay, answering this question, what would be ideal for me? How do I really want my life to look with money? What would be ideal? Who would I be hanging out with? What would I be doing? What, like, what would be ideal? And it's, it's only a question each of us can answer individually, right? You cannot have someone else put on you the answers to those types of questions. It's almost like how hypnosis works, right? How hypnosis works is you have a problem you want to, usually you have a problem that you want to go get some help with. And the idea of course, is that they're tapping into your subconscious to begin to change what you believe is possible, which then gets you into acting and acting toward what you want to have instead, right? So you're replacing what you have with what you want. Yeah. But it really, to me, the, the true power of it is in deciding this yeah. is how it's fill in the blank gonna be. And all hypnosis tapes talk only in the words and the framework of what you've decided that you want things to be. So when you work with a hypnotist and you're re-listening to the tape that they've recorded and they ask you to listen to it a couple of times a day, what you're hearing are your own words back of how you want things to be. There's so much power in that. Yeah. That's what I mean by declaring right now. You can share it if you want the accountability of that. There are any, you know, I mean, that social construct of accountability, right? It is another form of, of asking for help, or you can do that or you do it privately. But the most important thing is deciding like from here on out, this is how it's going to go. That doesn't mean that's going to happen overnight. And the law of attraction isn't going to get there unless you take action, right? It's going to help you, but you've got to start taking action on it. But I think it's really putting that stake in the ground. Like I said, I'm going to repeat it again from here on out. This is how it's going to go. I love Why? Because I said so. Yeah. And the power in that, in just saying, you know what, I'm going to walk in my truth and, and I am worth it. And this is going to be, you're right. Like it's a stake in that ground and it is like making that conscious effort to be like, okay, that you're almost morphing between two stories, right? You have your past story and you have your future self and you almost mm-hmm. have to morph. But in order to morph into this new story, you really have to let that old story go. You have yeah. to let that old story go and work through it and unpack it and heal from it so you can walk in and step into 
this new version of yourself that you long for, that you desire, that is deep within you. And when you tap into that inner knowing of what that looks like, all of a sudden you want it. Now you're motivated because you've tapped into it a little bit. Yeah. And then let that propel you forward with the formula that has worked for you in your previous wins in life. Right. That's right. good. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things you're tapping into too is that to move forward, there is always letting go, always letting go. Yeah. And that could take lots of different forms. It might, you know, you might not know it going in. There might be relationships that you have to let go, which is probably the hardest part of the journey yeah. toward money. Because you actually said it a second ago. You actually said, um, who are you around? Who is who are you surrounded with in your future self of how you want to see yourself? Who's around you? Because yeah. you're some of the five people you spend the most time with. Now do mm -hmm. you want to be the sum of that? Ask yourself that question. Right. Right. And I would also say that if, if you are the top dog in your circle of five, you need another circle because you're not stretching. Oh, that is so good. Yeah. Cause you, there's no growth there. Right. You've, you've capped your growth because, and this is why community is so important. And we have to surround ourselves with community that's within proximity too, though, not mm -hmm. just people right. that are like all over the world. We need to have people in proximity that are close enough that we can do regular life with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really like, I even think about myself. I have unintentionally, like when I look back, I had put myself in so many uncomfortable social situations that more than I can recount to you around people who were doing what I wanted to do or had something that I was aspiring to and talk about a fish out of water, never feeling like I belong, not everywhere in my life, but there were moments that I was stepping up and feeling that. And it would occur on a you know, regular basis. Sometimes it was at the office. Sometimes it was a, a group I belonged to that literally was like, what am I doing here? How did they let me in here? I don't yeah. belong here, right? They're, <laughs> you know, they're up on this level and I'm like, I'm just starting out. Like it's required. It is required. And I'm not saying that you have to throw out all your relationships. You don't. And if you are in a circle where you've grown, more than the other people in the circle, then maybe your role there is to be that mentor and coach. But if that is the only circle that you're in, you need to expand because you need to be in a circle that is expanding you. And you need yeah. to be around people that intimidate you in the best, in the best form yes. of intimidate. Like right? our relationship. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> oh no, you're very inspiring, you know, and you see money the same way and to do a TEDx talk. But this is the thing, I remember hearing this and I don't remember who said it, but jealousy can be a good thing. And if we start to see jealousy as a desire within us, instead of a jealous feeling, it's, that's truly a desire. So, mm -hmm. you know, when I heard about your TEDx talk, I was like, oh, wow. And part of me got like a little jealous. I was like, oh, what is this telling me? And when oh, I, I got deeper- tell you what that's telling you. I know, it's telling me I want to be on a stage doing a TEDx talk. <laughs> uh, yes, I think it's telling you something deeper. Interesting. It's actually that you see in yourself that you can do it. Yeah. That's what it actually tells you. You're not jealous. So I, I think this is such You're a good thing. We I want it. that. I do want that. I know. Isn't it funny? Because it brings. So when we feel that about other people, it's that desire within us. And we need to listen to that desire. It's longing right. to come forward. That's that. That's, that's that right. alignment that you talked about earlier. Like we are called mm -hmm. to be seen, but we need to yeah. step into that. Absolutely. And I think you're, you're, you're hitting on something so important that if, if you didn't feel that desire, right, 
if you couldn't have it, you wouldn't even feel that desire. You would just say, oh, that's great. That, oh, that's so, uh, that's so interesting. That's great. But your feelings went somewhere else. That's a sign. It's like when we, when we look at people that we admire and we really think about like, well, what do we admire about that person? Yeah. Well, that list that you come up with, you have all the ingredients. Otherwise you couldn't create that list. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. This podcast is going completely different direction a little bit too. It's beautiful. It's so good. So Michelle, how do people get in touch with you? How do they, what do you offer them for services? How can you help them? What does that look like? Yeah. Well, the best way to get in touch with me is either to uh, link in with me or to find me on my website, which is michellab.com. And actually on the homepage is a success formula guide, which people can download and go through all the steps of what we were talking about. And um, yeah. That's, that's my big thing is uh, how you do one thing. is not how you do everything. And you can figure out your success formula and apply it right onto your money. Into all areas of your life, not just your money either. Cause it's whole life excellence. Yeah. You and I both believe it's whole life excellence. And yes. you've given us great tips and tricks on how to do that. We will be putting in the show notes, how people can get in touch with you, your website, your LinkedIn all your social platforms. And it was such a delight having you on the show, Michelle. I can't thank you enough. Oh my goodness. You are truly an inspiration and your heart for what you do is overwhelming. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you so much, Amy. I just love talking with you today. You're doing such good stuff in the world. Thank you so much. Okay. Awesome. We'll leave you out with that guys. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. Thank you. We hope that you guys found this insightful. We encourage you to subscribe to the channel so you don't miss out on the new releases that are coming soon. Follow us on social media. Our platforms are LinkedIn and Instagram. Head over to the website and let us know if you wish to share your story, either on the podcast or even in a blog. Our website is youinsureinc.ca. Y-O-U-I-N-S-U-R-E-I-N-C.ca. We too have newsletters as we give you our very own family recipes paired with tips and tricks so you can finish well too. Bye for now.